This morning we are wrapping up our series on Luke's explanation, description of the birth of Jesus. And Christmas does affect us in many different ways. I was thinking, I would guess some of us here, you're feeling at this point overwhelmed by the busyness, all that still has to get done, possibly. I would guess others of us are feeling homesickness, some sadness maybe about being away from family members, away from close friends. That especially comes on us during this time of year, doesn't it? I would guess others of you are thrilled that family members are here or are coming or you're going or however it's gonna work. So lots of ways that Christmas can affect us, but if we're not careful, those factors can make us miss the point of Christmas, right? Because the point of Christmas is to celebrate the beginning of the most important event in world history. The birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the most important event in world history. Now one reason I say that is because, remember back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter three, at the very beginning of world history, God is talking to the serpent and he points ahead to the coming of Jesus. He talks about the, the seed of the woman is gonna be born and he's gonna crush Satan's head. So at the very beginning of world history, God's pointing ahead to the coming of Jesus. And in the book of Revelation, at the very end of history, we see men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe worshiping the lamb who was slain. So at the end of history, we're all looking back to the coming of Jesus. So if at the beginning of world history, the attention is to look ahead to Jesus, and at the end of history, it's to look back at Jesus, it makes sense that Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, is at the very center of world history. And what Luke is going to explain to us in today's passage is why. Why is Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection the center of history? Why is Jesus so important? So let's turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Now remember, Luke is a medical doctor. And he wanted to help his friend Theophilus know with more certainty and confidence that the truth of Jesus, who he was, what he did. So Luke says at the very beginning of his gospel that he carefully researched eyewitness accounts and then he wrote this gospel. And in chapter two, verses one through 20, we're going to read about the birth of Jesus. And as I studied these verses, I saw five crucial truths about Jesus which will help us understand why Jesus Christ is the most important event in all of world history. So the first truth is this. Jesus' birth really happened. Now for some of you, you know that that's true, but go to university, you watch certain television shows, and you can hear people teach that the Bible didn't really mean to teach us history. The Bible is just telling us legends or fables, kind of like Aesop's fables to make a point. But look closely at what Luke writes in chapter two, verses one through three, and ask yourself, is Luke describing this as a fable, or is he describing this as history? Luke two, one through three. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, in the first century, there was no dating system that everybody used. So the way that you would say that something happened at a certain time was by linking it to another well-known event. And you see how Luke does that here. He says Jesus' birth took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. When a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that everyone should be registered in their hometown. So it's very clear from that that Luke is telling us that these events actually happened just as really as Quirinius was governor of Syria and Caesar Augustus made this registration. He's telling us that Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection is history. These events really happened. Now, why is that so important? Lots of reasons why. But let me just pick one this morning to have you think about. What this means is that for Luke, faith is not a blind leap. For Luke, faith is based on evidence. Luke has talked with eyewitnesses. He's read supporting documents. He's writing history. He wants Theophilus to understand this is history. So the Bible does not say, even though there's no evidence, just take the leap and trust Jesus. It's not how the Bible talks at all. What the Bible says is, we have evidence that Jesus' birth was the birth of the Son of God, God in the flesh. Look at the evidence and trust him. That's how the Bible talks. So that's the first crucial truth. Jesus' birth really happened. Second truth. Jesus was laid in a lowly manger. Start with verse uh, 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David. Notice that crucial word, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of, notice again, David. So twice in this verse we have the word David repeated. Now that's important because all through the Old Testament, there's prophecies that the coming Messiah is going to be in the line of David. And here Luke is going out of his way to help us understand that Joseph is in the line of David. Now remember, Jesus was born of a virgin who conceived by God's supernatural power. No sexual relations involved, no man was involved because Jesus was going to be not just fully man but also fully God. So Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, right? But he was Jesus' legal father and since he was Jesus' legal father, and since Joseph was in the line of David, that means that Jesus was in the line of David, which means Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies about the coming Messiah. He's the Messiah. Then keep reading. Joseph went to Bethlehem, verse five, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths 
and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So Joseph and Mary traveled probably a three days journey from northern Palestine down to Bethlehem. And while they were there, she gave birth to Jesus. And Mary laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now we're supposed to feel shocked at this. If you've heard this story for many, many years, you're like, yeah, we get it, manger. But we should be like, what? No way! Luke wants us to feel shock at this point. So to help us feel how shocking this is, remember what Luke has told us so far about who this baby is. Chapter one, verse 32. He is the Messiah, born in the line of David. Chapter one, verse 33. His kingdom will last forever. Chapter one, verse 35. He'll be born of a virgin. That's miraculous, by God's supernatural power. Chapter one, verse 35, he is the son of God, fully man and fully God. And think about it, when Mary was holding this little baby, fully God in her hands. Chapter one, verse 72, he will establish God's saving covenant for everyone who will trust him. And then chapter one, verse 77, he will forgive the sins of all who trust him. So this baby that Mary is holding is the most important baby ever born in the world. Billions of babies have been born here on planet Earth. Jesus Christ is the most important baby. And that's why verse seven is so shocking. Let's read it again. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. No place for them in the inn. Now, don't, don't pity poor baby Jesus at this point. God could have, had he wanted to, instantly created a Sheraton Bethlehem with a presidential suite on the top floor and that's where his son is going to be born, right? God wanted there to be no room in the inn. God chose that his son would be placed in a manger. Now what is a manger? Let's be clear on what a manger is. A manger is a feeding trough for animals. So it wouldn't have been the cleanest thing. It had some like wood slats. You'd throw hay in it, straw in it, maybe some oats in it, and the cows would, mm, they'd come up and they would eat out of this from between the slats and sheep would come up and eat. So it, it like there, there'd be like half chewed stalks of hay there, like dried up animal drool on the, on the, on the, on the wood and maybe some kind of moldy half chewed pieces of oats there. I'm sure Joseph cleaned it up for Mary and for the baby, but it was a manger. It was a feeding trough for, for animals. And, and Luke wants us to be shocked at this point and ask why. Why would God choose to have his son, the most important baby born in world's history, why would he have him laid in a manger? And Luke is going to tell us that in a moment. Just hold on to that question, okay? First, he gives us another equally shocking truth. An angel appears to lowly shepherds. 
Look at verses 8 and 9. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Now let's be clear on what an angel is. An angel is not a pudgy cherub plucking uh, harp strings on a cloud. An, An angel is a supernatural being created by God, massively powerful, shining with God's glory, who obeys God, does God's will in the earth. That's what angels are. We, we don't worship angels. We don't pray to angels. We worship God and pray to God. But angels are doing God's will in the world. And so far in Luke, we've seen an angel appear to, remember Zechariah? Telling Zechariah that even though he and his wife were way beyond childbearing years, his wife would miraculously conceive and give birth to John the Baptist, who the Old Testament had prophesied would be the one preparing the way for the Messiah, which means the Messiah is coming. Then we also saw an angel going to the Virgin Mary and telling her that she was going to miraculously, with God's power, no man involved, conceive and give birth to Jesus, the Messiah. So we can see why an angel would go to Zechariah, because this is about the birth of John the Baptist. We can see why an angel would go to Mary, because this is about the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Why would an angel go to shepherds? Shepherds were on like one of the lowest social status rungs, if you want to think in those categories, which we shouldn't waste our time doing. But understand, that's, that's where they were. They were very poor. They lived for months at a time out in the wild, caring for their sheep. They'd be up all night, very difficult work hard work, and they were on like the lowest bottom rung of the social ladder, and an angel appeared to them. God said to this angel, go to these shepherds and tell them who this child is. The angel could have gone to all the religious leaders in Jerusalem. That would have seemed appropriate. He didn't. He could have gone to the wealthy millionaires club and announced it to them. He didn't. He could have gone to the political leaders. He didn't. God said, go to the shepherds out in the fields. Tell them who this child is. Now why? Why? Why the lowly manger? Why the lonely shepherds? Why? Both questions have the same answer, and they're found in the fourth truth that Luke teaches us. And that fourth truth is that in Jesus, the infinitely exalted God, infinitely exalted God, lowers himself. In Jesus, he lowers himself, lowers himself, lowers himself, lowers himself to save the lowliest. That's you. And that's me. That's this fourth truth. Start with verse 10. Let's see how he unfolds this truth. And the angel said to them, to whom? Who's who's the angel talking to? Shepherds, okay? The angel said to them, these shepherds, fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the, the angel announces good news. Think of it. If somebody walked up to you or ran up to you and said, I've got good news for you. Think of how you'd feel. All <laughs> right. Good news is good news. And this was good news of a great joy. I thought about this. That there's a 17th century mathematician, Christian mathematician named Blaise Pascal. And he wrote a book called Thoughts, Pensées in French. And, and I think he was absolutely right. He says in this book that everybody does everything they do to gain joy. Every human being does everything they do, we do, to gain joy. That's how God made us. Nothing wrong with seeking joy. Our problem is not that we seek joy. Our problem is that we settle for too little. We pursue every joy everywhere else but in knowing God through Jesus. Nothing wrong with seeking joy. Listen, seek joy more. Just stop settling for so little. God's got good news of great joy for us. And not only is this good news of great joy, it is for all the people. Think about it. This good news is for every single person in Abu Dhabi this morning. Every single person is for them. If they will have it, it is for them. It's for every single one of us here this morning. If you will have it, this good news is for you. No matter who you are or who you aren't, no matter what you've done or what you haven't done, this good news of great joy can be for you. So what is this good news and how does it give great joy to all the people? Look at verse 11. Here's why. Notice the word for at the beginning of verse 11. For unto you is born this day. Who's that you? Unto you, shepherds, lowly, lowly shepherds, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, notice these three crucial words in that verse, Savior, Christ, and Lord. First of all, Jesus is a Savior. We all need to be saved. So crucial we understand this. Every single human being needs to be saved. And what we need to be saved from, the Bible teaches us, is from sin. Now, what is sin? Let me explain it like this, see if this resonates with you. God created us, he created you, so that you could have the joy of knowing him. He wants to share the beauty of his glory, his majesty, his love, his excellence. He wants you to be filled with that joy because you'll be praising him, he'll be pouring out joy upon you. He created you to have joy in knowing him through Jesus. The problem is we've all turned our backs on God, every single one of us. We've refused to bend the knee before him. We refuse to trust Jesus. Now some, some of us, some people do this in socially unacceptable ways, but others do this in socially acceptable ways, like by working hard at your job. We can do all those seemingly good things with our backs turned to God. So every one of us has sinned, socially unacceptable ways or socially acceptable ways, every one of us has sinned, and tragically because of that, not only do we lack the joy that God created us to have, that's why we're empty, but we're facing God's judgment forever for our sin. 
And so we need to be saved. We need a savior. And Jesus is our savior. He came and died on the cross to be punished for the sins of everyone who would put their trust in him. It's amazing. He was sinless, deserved no punishment whatsoever, and he came to be punished on the cross. God's wrath for sin was poured out upon him. He paid for the sins of everyone who would trust him. That's what Jesus did. And so the moment, this is just beautiful, the moment that you put your trust in Jesus, the moment that you bend the knee before Jesus, turn from your sin and, and trust him, he not only will forgive you for all of your sins, all your past sins, all, all your past sins, and all your present sins, and all your future sins, he not only will forgive you for all of your sins, he will start to change you, change your heart, He'll become more loving, more kind, and he will fill you with his joy, the good news of great joy. He will pour his joy into your heart. For the first time, you'll experience the joy God created you to have. So Jesus is Savior. Second, Jesus is Christ. Christ means Messiah. All through the Old Testament, prophets had predicted the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. And here he is. Jesus is not only Savior, but he's also Christ, the Messiah, the longed-for Messiah. And then third, Jesus is Lord. What does Lord mean? The Greek word Lord has a broad range of meanings. It, it can be applied to people, a term of respect. It also, and in this passage, notice how many times it's describing God. Because of how many times in this passage the word is pointing to God, I think that's its meaning here. This word Lord is pointing to the fact that Jesus is not just a man. He is fully God. So again, think about, think about Mary holding this baby. This baby is not just a man. This baby is God. God in the flesh. Mary was holding God in the flesh in her arms. The God who created everything. That's who she's holding. The God who has been in existence from eternity past with no beginning. No one made God. God has always been. She's holding the Son of God. God in the flesh in her arms. The God who is infinite in glory and majesty. She's holding him. The God who's infinitely greater than we are, infinitely greater than Mary was, than any of us is, she's holding him. God is infinitely exalted. And now that creates a problem. If God is infinitely above us, infinitely exalted, and he is our joy, he's our greatest joy, and if we are infinitely below him, which we are, then how can we contact him? We want that joy. I want joy. I want joy. And if he is infinitely greater than me and I'm infinitely below him and he is my joy, how can I make contact with him? And we could think it's by making ourselves important enough or worthy enough or good enough or spiritual enough, right? And that's what every other religion teaches us. That it's you trying to make yourself 
higher, get up to the level so that you can reach the place where you finally have contact with God. But that is not what the Bible teaches. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. And if that's what you've been trying to do, I have wonderful news for you, what the Bible does say. We don't lift ourselves up to God's level. In Jesus, the infinitely exalted God has lowered himself, lowered himself, lowered himself, lowered himself, lowered himself to save the lowliest, namely you and me. We are the lowliest. If you're thinking, I'm glad I'm not the lowliest, uh, you're deceived. We are all the lowliest. I mean, whose sin do I know better than mine? No one's. Well, I'm better than George, aren't I? Well, you know maybe four or five things George did. Sorry, George, if you're here. I'm not talking about any George here, right? He saved the lowliest. That is you and that is me. And in Jesus, the exalted, the infinitely exalted God has lowered himself to save the lowliest. And see, that's the point of Jesus being born in a manger. That's why God said, my son is going to be laid in a manger. There will be no room for him in the inn. No uh, uh, mm -mm. manger to show that he came for the lowliest. Do you see that? Well, it's good news. And that's why the angel was sent to the shepherds. No, not the political leaders, not the millionaires club, not the spiritual leaders. Go to the shepherds. See those guys out in the field? Go to them. Announce to them. This is the angelic announcement of God being born in the world to shepherds because in Jesus, the infinitely exalted God lowers himself, lowers himself, lowers himself, lowers himself to save the lowliest. That's us. That's the answer to why the manger and why the, the shepherds. And both of those are found there in verse 12. The angel says, this will be a sign for you, you as the shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So there's the shepherds in that verse, you, and there's the lowly manger in that verse. And again, the point is that God wants us to see clearly. We don't climb to God by becoming more spiritual or more righteous or virtuous or more wealthy or whatever it might be. No, God, the infinitely exalted God in Jesus Christ has come down, 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 down to us. Now what God would be willing to be born as a baby? I mean, I, I wanna linger on this just a little bit more so that we can maybe this Christmas see this more clearly than ever before and feel this more deeply than ever before. Think of how far Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus the Son we're talking about, fully God, what it meant for him to be born as a baby. Here's how Charles Spurgeon put it. I want you to think about this. Very powerful. He says, infinite, speaking of Jesus, and yet an infant, eternal, and yet born of a woman, almighty, and yet nursing at a woman's breast, supporting a universe. He upholds all things by the word of his power, the book of Hebrews tells us, and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms. 
heir of all things. The whole universe he will inherit at the hand of his father and yet the carpenter's despised son. Lower, lower, lower. Jesus lowered himself to save the lowliest. Look at how Thomas Watson put it. That man should be made in God's image is a wonder. But that God should be made in man's image is a greater wonder. That the ancient of days, that's a name for God in the Old Testament, that the ancient of days would be born, that he who thunders in the heavens should cry in the cradle. See, this is why the good news of great joy that comes in Jesus is for all the people. Because God lowers himself to save the lowliest in Jesus. In Jesus Christ, God has lowered himself to save you and me. That's what we're celebrating this Christmas. Now there's one more crucial truth in this passage. I struggled with what the point of verses 13 through 20 is and I think that all these verses point to therefore Jesus has infinite worth. Jesus, the spotlight is on Jesus in these last verses. Start with verse 13. And suddenly there was with the one angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he, God, is pleased. I mean, one angel, remember, made them all fear with the great fear, all these shepherds. One angel was like frightening. But here, after that one angel announces that Jesus is gonna be laid in a lowly manger, suddenly the sky is filled with angels. And they're all, well, here's what they say, they're all praising God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. So their praise of God's gift of Jesus, glory to God in the highest. You sent your son to be born in a manger. Jesus, God of the flesh, is born in a manger. We respond by saying glory to God. What glorious love and mercy. What God would do this for rebels like us, especially when in the background you see it all pointing to the cross. Glory to God in the highest and that through Jesus, we can have peace because by trusting him, we're forgiven and God is pleased with us through what Jesus has done. This shows that Jesus has infinite worth. Verses 15 through 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So the angels left, and the shepherds, they didn't dawdle. They just seen one angel, they'd seen a company of angels. The angels said there'll be a sign, go. And so they went with haste, because they wanted to see this child who was bringing good news of great joy for all people. They wanted to see this child who was 
the infinitely exalted God, lowering, 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 lowering himself to save the lowliest. So they went in haste to Bethlehem. Verse 17, and when they saw it, Jesus in, this, in the manger, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They didn't talk about the weather. They talked about Jesus. Good news of a great joy. An angel came to us. This child, good news of a great joy for all the people. This is the Savior. This is Christ the Messiah. This is the Lord. This is God in the flesh. The shepherds made known, and there were more people than just Mary and Joseph there. We see that in verse 18. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And then Mary, verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What the angel had just, what the angel had told the shepherds and what the shepherds had communicated to everybody is it's huge if you stop and think about it. You are here created by God. That's why you are here. He made planet Earth. He created you, placed you on it. That's why you took that last breath is Everything's because of God, and you've turned your back on God. I have too, and we all face judgment from God. We're cut off from the joy of knowing God, and Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's Lord, fully God in the flesh, and because of him, there's good news of great joy. We trust him. We're forgiven. We're changed. We're filled. This is news worth wondering at and treasuring and pondering. So here's my challenge to you. Do you take time to wonder over these things? Mm, just think about it. Amazing. Manger, a baby, God in the flesh. Do you treasure these things? Do you, do you ponder these things? Don't just give a minute or two or ten to wondering, treasuring, pondering these things. Give time. Think deeply about these things. There is nothing more worth thinking deeply over than these truths of Jesus Christ. Think over them deeply and then trust him. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus. Trust him as your savior. Trust him as your Lord. Trust him as your treasure. Trust him. So are you trusting Jesus is my question. Are you trusting him? Wonder, treasure, ponder, and trust. One more verse, verse 20. And the shepherds returned. So they had done their job. They made the announcement. They returned, heading back to the hills where their sheep are. They returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Just like the angels were glorifying and praising God, here the shepherds are glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told them. Now this picture I just love thinking about it. The angels, they're heading back into the hills and they are glorifying and praising God as they go. And that, that displays the, the infinite glory, infinite worth of Jesus. So, so picture them. I mean, if they're, if they're glorifying and praising God, they're not just like whispering to each other. They're like shouting to each other as they're going. They are jubilant. They are happy. They are full of this good news of great joy. 
So they're heading back into the hills. Glory to God, brothers. The, the promised Messiah has come. And God has come. And he was born and laid in a lowly manger. Doesn't get any more lowly than that. And he sent his angel and then angels to us lowly shepherds. What a merciful, compassionate, great God. And we don't contact him by trying to reach up to him and become good enough. He has come to us. He has brought salvation to us. And we trust him. We trust this Messiah's death on the cross to forgive sins. We trust him to change us. We trust him to satisfy us. We come to him and we trust him. That is good news of great joy for all the people. And that picture of the shepherds, jubilantly, joyfully, jumping, running, laughing, heading back into the hills to take care of their sheep, that displays the infinite worth of Jesus. So here's where this ends for this morning. Jesus has infinite worth. Trust him, Grace Church. Trust him. Everyone who's here this morning, trust him. Follow him. Live for him. Because he has infinite worth. Let's stand together. Good news of great joy, Father. That's what the angel announced to the shepherds, and we see it in Christ. We praise you that you came down from heaven to us in the person of Christ so we can be forgiven, changed, and filled with joy. I pray that you would pour out faith upon everyone here, fresh hope, move us in fresh devotion to Jesus who has infinite worth, I pray in Jesus' name.